You know, the old adage that if it's not in the head, it's not in the body is so much in play with a sales team. And I mean that both in the owner's head, from the sales leadership's head down to the individuals in sales. It if if the mentality or or the strategy or the or the process or tool is not in place, it will be if, if it's not in place at the top of that organization, it will be broken throughout the whole organization. Hey, my friend, welcome to episode 77 of the Business Done Right podcast. I'm your host, Seth Bueckley, and this is your place for faith-forward business leadership. If you're motivated to make the most of the opportunities you've been given, if you're fueled by gratitude, if you're ready to build value in your business and build your life on rock-solid truth that never changes, this podcast is for you. As a business leader and investor, I've spent my life building and occasionally selling businesses that grew from nothing into businesses that have generated hundreds of millions of dollars. The Business Done Right podcast is the place where I have the privilege of connecting you with wisdom, people, and resources that will help you build value in your business and your life. Today, I have the privilege of introducing you to one of our insiders. Tim Hawkins is based here in the Pacific Northwest, and he's one of our talented subject matter experts we fondly refer to as Cathedral Trusted Advisors. That means we know him really well, and we're able to tap his expertise for our own use and we're able to bring him into client engagements to do his magic, his zone of genius, if you will, his zone of excellence. For Tim, that zone of excellence happens to be in the area of sales and marketing. Tim loves to describe himself as a sales jockey from some of the largest brands in the world, such as Coca-Cola, Famous Footwear, Nautilus, and some others you'll pick up on. But you'll also learn that he has real experience with smaller businesses and even nonprofits through a very uh, diverse background. As a Cathedral Trusted Advisor, he brings 30 years of high-performance sales and marketing executive leadership in Fortune 500 companies for some of these world-leading brands. And we're going to have a fun conversation today that touches on many of the things that he's done on the business front. Aside from that, He's actually a worship arts leader at a pretty large church here in the the Northwest, and he's very involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters, has been for 10 years. He serves on the board of directors of a a school district and is very involved with the Chief's Council for Navigators First Responder Ministry. So very active community guy, lives in um, just over the river in the the Couve, Vancouver area, Brush Prairie, actually, with his wife, Becky, and and uh, there are three children. Tim's going to share some of the things he learned in his early career, and he's going to share some of the things that he learned in the heart of the career, and then in what he's learning now as he serves uh, a variety of organizations. You know, one of the things that he talks about you're going to love is he talked about his faith journey and that he decided that he, it made no sense to leave Jesus in the car. And so you're going to like hearing him talk about that you know, he's a high-energy guest. He's going to be laying down some wisdom coming up right after today's Moment of Truth. Applying the timeless wisdom of Scripture to our modern lives, here's today's Moment of Truth. So today's Moment of Truth actually came from my reading just this very morning. We were in Second Kings, and uh, this is the section where it's talking about the various kings of Israel and Judah. And in this case, we're learning about a king named Hezekiah. And I've titled this moment of truth, Get Your House in Order. Here's what it says, 2 Kings 20, verse 1 through 3. 
In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Well, as the story continues, um, you know, we learn that God listened to Hezekiah's prayer. And God initially sent Isaiah to him and said, hey, time's up. You're going to die. Get your house in order. And then Hezekiah weeps bitterly. And then the Lord actually grants him another 15 years. But what we observe as we keep reading in the subsequent chapters is that rather than do the instruction that the Lord told him, which was get your house in order, Hezekiah, in my view, seems to continue to think only in terms or primarily in terms of what's good for him. And we know that, or I observe that, because later on, um, the king of Babylon sends some of his emissaries to visit old Hezekiah, and Hezekiah shows him everything in the entire kingdom. It says everything in all of his houses, all of his realm. And uh, that was very displeasing to the Lord, and he got another message from uh, the Lord about what was going to happen. And so Isaiah shows up and says, all right, because you showed all of the inside of the kingdom to an enemy king, eventually all of this is going to be taken away from you. Yet it appears that he was only worried about himself again. Here's what it said. Second Kings 20, verse 18, And some of your own sons, speaking to Hezekiah, who will come after you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Parentheses. How fun would that job be, right? Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. So the frustrating thing for me as I was reading this is I look at Hezekiah, who's described as a, as a good king who did great things by tearing down some of the idols and the, the, the places of worship that were prohibited. But it seems that despite the fact that he had a good and a sensitive heart to the things of God, he didn't make a good transfer to the next generation. He seemed to be very caught up in the things that he wanted, maybe even a little emotional. We know that because his son, uh, Manasseh, was an evil tyrant. So when Hezekiah was gone, Manasseh comes into power and was an evil king. He did what was um, evil in front of the Lord. And so my application as I've been thinking about this scripture was, you know, when we live for only our own pleasures and our own joys, we miss the opportunity to set up future generations for their success. In my view, despite the fact that Hezekiah was described as a good king, multiple times he was told, get your house in order, and he seemed to focus on what was right in front of him rather than focusing on the bigger picture of how his actions impacted his own family or even his kingdom. And his attitude was, well, it's not going to happen to me, so I guess it's going to be okay. 
We don't want to be like that. So this would be my prayer. Lord, help me value and protect what you've entrusted to me and help me live with faith. Help me to be thinking about the next generations and to be concerned with their well-being and their faithfulness, not just what's right in front of me today. Well, it's my privilege today to welcome Tim Hawkins. He's a friend. He's a Cathedral Trusted Advisor. He's actually on staff as a worship leader at Summit View Church in Vancouver, Washington. Tim, welcome to the Business Done Right podcast. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, I've been looking forward to this for for a while. Um, at Cathedral, we talk a lot about those four pillars of value, and, and one of those is sales and marketing, and we're mm-hmm. fortunate. We have uh, Tim on our team as a resource, and we're going to be talking about all things sales and marketing today. So, Tim, why don't you kick us off with kind of your story arc from big business, you know, big budgets, big planning, to uh, supporting entrepreneurs and, and, and smaller businesses that are kind of scaling up. Sure. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. You know, the bookends, and you just touched on on where I'm at right now as creative director with a, with a neat little church here in Vancouver, Washington. I started out as a musician. So um, I went into the world, uh, you know, expecting to be a, a college band director uh, at one point, but the Lord took me down a different path. And it, it was a 30-year journey um, of marketing to sales and sales to marketing, marketing to sales with uh, various co- uh, companies. I had the privilege of getting hired by answering a newspaper ad. I know our, my young friends have no idea what that means, but I answered a newspaper ad uh, to become a marketer with a, a company called Rayovac, flashlight and battery company in Madison, Wisconsin. And that drove me yeah. out of the music world into the into the world of, of business. And um, I had the privilege to grow inside that company. I went from there to, to Famous Footwear, which was also based in Madison, Wisconsin at that time. They were at that point a little 400 store retail uh footwear retailer. I rode them with them up to 800 stores uh, and then was recruited by Coca-Cola. Becky and I made the big move down to Atlanta, Georgia, and I got to be the big company jockey at Coke and had a number of roles there, uh, mainly in sales leadership, uh, client services and sales leadership there on the fountain side. So I worked in the in the hospitality business there. Um, Interesting. Uh, enjoyed my time there. Levi's came calling after that. Once you get a Coca-Cola on your resume, the phone starts to ring and I went from Coke uh, to Levi Strauss and was the head of uh, U.S. Uh, sales and marketing uh, for a number of years with them. Uh, a gentleman that I worked for there uh, moved to Vancouver, Washington, had no idea where it even was. My wife is like, we're not going to Canada um, and explained to her that we're uh, in, in the U.S., uh, but then came up here to be chief marketing officer for Nautilus. We've been here for 20 years. Uh, we've been in Vancouver nearly this year. In fact, this June will be 20 years. We've been up, up here in Vancouver. Uh, was there was there a chief marketing officer, then president? I then had the privilege after what at that point, 20 years of being a big company jockey uh, to connect with the private equity group that allowed me to actually go be CEO of um, a small, by my, by my estimations, a $25 million, you know, 90 people uh, retail marketing services company called Ivy Performance Marketing. I was their president, CEO, and part owner. Uh, for for ten years, uh, we sold that business in 2018, and uh, since then I've been in my in my first stages of retirement. Seth, you mentioned I'm creative director currently at uh, uh, at Summit View Church here in Vancouver, Washington, and really enjoying that, um, learning and growing my faith exponentially, as you can imagine, being immersed in business, but all, being immersed in church and then applying some of those business principles. And then, as, as you also mentioned, I've had the privilege to work with you and your team at Cathedral Consulting, and and frankly. It's the it's it's been the, probably one of the greatest blessings of the last year year and a half is to be able to scratch the itch of business that I I'll never be able to release 
Uh, no matter how much more I get immersed in church, it'll it'll always be there. And the ability to apply some of those experiences. Um, what I Love that. Well, I, I see, um, you know, as I think about ministry and business, uh, you know, the uh, my mentor, Phil, we named this podcast really after his life motto, which is in God's world, business done right is a blessing. And yeah. and there's this it, this interplay between uh, ministry and business. And, you know, in the political world, people are like, oh, there's a separation of church and state, right? In the business world, I think some people have that separation of business and faith. Um, and uh, there's this, this kind of this tension, you know, and this question maybe for people who feel really called to advance God's kingdom, but also called and gifted in business. And you're like, how do, how do I express this? Do I have to choose one over the other? And um, I'm, I'm watching you, interestingly, as you're, you know, you've jumped in to uh, being the creative director at, at a church and that ministry expression. I also know you're involved in nonprofits in your community school board. But coming back to where you're gifted and where you can have impact in serving these, these entrepreneurs with momentum who get to benefit uh, you, you know, in order to serve the Lord, you didn't have to put those gifts on the shelf and never revisit them. You know, you can you can bring them out and put them to and you. The older I get, that. yeah, and that's a great point. The older I get, the more I recognize how critical that is. And I I look back on I look back on some experiences, Seth, with regret. You know, I I became a Christian while I was working for Coca Cola. And while I was in the Southeast, you know, which is of the Bible Belt, and if you don't start, you know, your Monday morning conversation about how was your weekend with, hey, I went to church on Sunday and blah, 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 you know, people would frown on you. Um, but there were plenty of times there where uh, people didn't know I was a Christian. In fact, I had one real turning moment not long after I accepted Christ um, uh, where a guy that worked for me, I actually answered the question, hey, how was your weekend? And his name was Eddie Kelly. And Eddie said to me, he said, uh, I, I said, I said, great. We did this on Saturday, played tennis, da, 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 church on Sunday. And he's like, wait, what did you just say? I'm like, yeah, church on Sunday. Uh, he's like, you go to church, like a Christian church? And I was just like, oh, God, what am I doing? Um, so I had some of those kind of wake up calls where it was obvious to me that I wasn't walking out what you just described. I wasn't walking out my faith. Uh, and it was obvious to people that I wasn't walking out my faith. So it was a real... That, that, for me, was a real turning moment about, okay, yeah, you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, but um, uh, is he actually your Lord? Um, is he Lord in your life? Because I wasn't behaving as he was my Lord. Yes, I needed a Savior. Congratulations. And those two are not separable. As much as I wanted to, to, to make the point that I could just have a Savior and not a Lord, yeah. you know, it doesn't work that way. And uh, that was a painful yeah. moment. And as I've gotten older, I've been able to utilize that hot stove— <laughs> to make sure that I don't touch yeah. it. And don't get me wrong, even I mean, even in the church setting, there are times where I have to continue to remind myself, hey, remember what you're doing here. Remember, you know, I, you, your book says so well that, yeah. you know, a Keep guy our eye on the prize, person. right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's interesting because once we make that decision, well, once he le calls us to himself and, and we, we we jump in, you know, uh, at times in my life and maybe, maybe other people have this experience, you, you know, you try to run away. And I, I always reflect on the verse that I think some people miss, which is says God is a jealous God. And I interpret that as that means the things that are his, those that are his, he's not going to let go easily. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. sometimes that misery we bring upon ourselves is just his kindness saying, no, I'm a jealous God. You belong to me. You're, you're not, you're not going to run very far down that path before I'm going right. to get your attention. The easy way or the hard way, but I'll, I'll get you exactly. attention. <laughs> exactly. And he did in that case. And the words I always use with folks is, is and the, the, my personal story is I would drive from Alpharetta, Georgia to downtown Atlanta. It was, you know, 
10 miles, but it took me an hour and a half, even back in the day, right? So I would sing songs and I would I would pray and I'd have this amazing moment. I'd get to, I would get to the, the, the office, I'd go up in the parking lot inside Coke and I would close the door and I would literally say out loud, this is how pathetic it was. I would close the door and say, I'll see you after work, Jesus. I mean, I, and, and I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, why, why would you, you know, so I always tell people, don't leave Jesus in the car. You know, I mean, take take your faith into work. Grab your briefcase and grab your Bible and take your faith into work. And uh, and again, sounds I, like you've got friends. a book title in there. <laughs> don't, don't leave Jesus in the car. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Sometimes it just comes out of us. All right, well, let's, let's shift gears a bit. Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, at Cathedral, uh, we love to start an engagement with uh, an assessment, Sometimes we'll go right to a strategic plan, um, but we're always bringing them back to this concept of these pillars of value. We say you got to have your hands around the numbers, which is you know finance uh, and accounting. You've got to have sales and marketing because that defines the future, your lifeblood. Systems and workflow is how you scale the business, and it's all tied together with your culture, right? And your people because that's that's that is your business, and. Uh, I'm really glad that you're on our team because for a long time, you know, I would say some people f- perceive me as a sales guy, a marketing guy, because I'm a I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I, I like to, yes. I'm enthusiastic about things I believe in. And, you know, maybe I have a, 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 a bit of influence even. But as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate the science of sales, the science mm-hmm. of marketing, the planning that really goes into people who do it for real, like for a living. And, and you're one of those people. And, and we're fortunate to be able to connect you with some of our, our clients. And so I'd love to hear from you kind of some of the major differences between those things that you see um, utilized well at the Fortune 500 level and how many of those parlay and, and play well for that entrepreneur with momentum who's just getting ready to scale? And, and what are you seeing? Yeah, no, and, and you just you just triggered another thought. Uh, I think that's important to get into relative to that question specifically is you know what one of the things I, and I had the privilege of working for some of the best selling organizations in the world. I mean, Coca Cola is you know they they it, it is a selling machine. That's what they do the best. And I had the opportunity there to be thrust into their system. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, that I find, and I, I found this even myself as a young as an entrepreneur, uh, when I was when I was with the with the agency, and for the first time in my life, I found myself selling services and not selling a product. I wasn't selling a can or or a bag in a box of Coca Cola or pants or even shoes. Um, was selling a service was the rigor that's required to have a world class sales organization. And most young companies are built off of a couple great relationships where, and it could be the owner CEO that has that relationship and jump starts mm-hmm. the relationship and gets things going. And 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 that relationship wasn't founded on on a, 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 a prospect funnel. And and good daily planning around how is that relationship tracking and how is it going? I had the privilege though of learning at Coke and and even actually at Levi's took into um, in, into into their organization the Miller Hyman selling process, which is very much you know if 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 finance people could get past the fact that it's sales, um, uh, great finance people make great salespeople because it is about rigor. It's not about shucking and jiving. You just came from a trade show. We talked about that earlier. And yeah, and, I mean, kissing hands, shaking, show, you know, kiss, exactly. oh, actually, kissing babies, shaking hands, you know, 
exactly. smiling big. You know, stuff and jive is the trade show, right? I mean, um, yeah. however, yeah. potentially one of the greatest selling opportunities if you approach it with a sense of rigor. And there are, and I'm not trying to uh, aspire to any one, any one selling tool. There's a number of them out there. But what I find in small companies is the reason why you're not scaling to the next level is you haven't put in place a sale, a, a, a rigorous sales planning and, and sales tracking mechanism. And today's society, there's amazing tools that that exist that down to tracking, you know, back in my day, you know, it was, it was, it was pieces of paper when I first learned how to do it. Um, now it's, now it's actual, you know, it's, it's done, it's done with, with, with digital tools, but the ability to track relationships to, to actually relationship manage all the way through. Now, it, it it'll it'll salespeople will bristle, especially old sales jockeys that have a great book of business and and they think they run the company and, and and without them the business goes nowhere. And there's some truth to that, by the way. There are absolutely entrepreneurs that are locked into a salesperson because of the relationships that they have that keep the sales. So let, let's going. talk. Let's let's camp there for a second. Yeah. But what are the hit the downsides of that? You know, what are the oh. downsides of? building your business around that charismatic salesperson who just gets the numbers, hits his numbers, yeah. would prefer to be left alone. Yeah. The easy one is he owns you. I mean, as much as, as much as you believe that you are the owner and CEO of the company, if that person owns the relationship, he owns the organization, he owns the business. And I don't mean that just financially. I mean that culturally as well. Um, yeah, a, a great example of, of, of that as I took over, as we purchased the the, uh, the services company, I had two people that had a relationship with a very big shoe manufacturer here in uh, in the Northwest. And uh, on some level, um, what we bought were those relationships. What we had to do, though, was learn to mm -hmm. balance those relationships out across the, uh, the organization. Owners and CEOs must have a relationship with those clients. Um, culturally, those individuals have to be the most on culture. Um, otherwise, they will literally run roughshod over your whole organization. If they're the ones controlling the culture, they are your culture. Um, and while they may that's be that's a good the, word. I'm, I'm re yeah, I'm replaying in my mind a, literally a conversation I had last week with uh, somebody that bought a business, and uh, as they went in to kind of take, uh, let's call it, I call it emotional ownership of yeah. their culture and their business. Like, hey, I bought this, I'm ready to go on. They actually got their hand slapped by their lead salesperson, like, no, no, you're not going to go talk to my clients. Right. And it was one of those, one of those wake up moments around, oh, okay, this, this, this is a problem on multiple levels now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we called it, we called it coverage mapping or, 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 um, you know, or, or team selling or relationship, uh, uh, management, but it really is taking those critical, uh, relationships and saying, Hey, hold on a second. First of all, you know, owner, you work for me, sales guy. Uh, and how are we going to? Uh, and, and to the truth is, if if you can if you can help the sales, the you know the uh, um, you know the the whale performer, the, the guy that owns the relationship. If you could help him or her understand the value of having a relationship across a system and the the, the stability that an, a relationship with an owner can bring. I mean, you you know this, Seth. Uh, bringing an owner into a customer relationship has uh, you know could can potentially be the very best, most stabilizing thing you could do. Customers know darn well that the sales guy doesn't run the business, um, so the yeah. customer is going to want to know the owner. So, but however, it's a 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 pair pull between uh, the salesperson and the owner, and having and, and bridging that gap, helping the salesperson understand why this stabilizes his or her relationship uh, is paramount. And once you get through that, then you can begin to to to, to manage the the relationship. But on some level, it you know I see a lot of a lot of these young small companies. Where they're they're over the barrel with a, with a sales rep that has them on yeah. the short here. So Tim, 
as you come into um, a company that's they've got revenue, but but they haven't they develop systems, and they would tell you that their sales and marketing is broken. How do you mm-hmm. triage that, and kind of what what's your thinking of how you move them towards maturity on the sales and marketing yeah. side? Yeah, I mean, the, the most interesting, I hear that probably more often than I wish I did, um, that their sales and marketing is broken. Broken. I think first first um, is understanding, when an entrepreneur tells me that, first is understanding what they believe truly to be broken. Um, you know, is is it is it is it a people is it a people process or tools problem? You know, and the truth is, it probably lies. It's it's rare that it's just one of those things. Um, you know, I just mentioned the, the 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 situation where we had zero tools to to manage the business. Um, it could be a people problem where you've got you know lack of accountability and ownership with a with a sales organization, um, and then it could very much easily be a process uh, situation. So it's breaking down those. That's the way I usually put my my brain through the diagnosing a broken sales or marketing is having someone articulate. And what you find in that, just asking that question across different groups of the organization, you find all the different answers that come in and around that. And that's that's what you find the brokenness is is oftentimes is perception from different organizations. You know, you'll have a CFO tell you, oh, my 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 sales team is broken. You'll have an owner tell you about how great his sales team is. Um, and you, what you'll find is there's cultural issues or there's communication issues between leadership. It's the, you know, the old adage that if it's not in the head, it's not in the body is so much in play with a sales team. And I mean that both in the owner's head, from the sales leadership's head down to the individuals in sales. It, if, if the mentality or, or the strategy or the, or the process or tool is not in place, it will be, if, if it's not in place at the top of that organization, it will be broken throughout the whole organization. Um, so, so you've so kind of hinted a couple times, Tim, about um, you've said the word culture. It's kind of come mm-hmm. up, and um, you know it's tempted. It's tempting to think that sales is a department, marketing is a department. They have their mission, and they just, if they go fulfill their mission, it just kind of this this assembly line, and, and maybe they can even stand out on an island and, and roll the way they roll or the way they need to, to just to deliver the number. But you keep talking about culture. How important is culture and how do you assess kind of the buy-in or the integration of the culture relative to sales in a company? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll start with this. I mean, it's the only thing that matters. I mean, at the, end of, the old adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast every day is completely true, especially in small companies. And I, I can tell you even my own story. I made the mistake coming from, from Nautilus Inc., um, you know, publicly traded company. We were, you know, half a billion dollars in revenue. I had four, you know, uh, you know, uh, vice presidents of sales managing different managing different verticals that we worked in. Big, big company. I go from there to a ninety-person uh, company, and of course, being a big company jockey for twenty years, I just go and shove strategies down the throat of this small marketing company. And the first ten months were abysmal. I mean, absolutely awful. It was the worst time of my life. Was those. First ten months to a year um, with with the marketing company because I couldn't figure out what was wrong, and you know putting my consultant hat on now and stepping back and knowing what I know now, so probably what makes me valuable is I made all the mistakes for these young guys. But um, the uh, what what I missed and it took it took actually it took a, a COO a friend of mine to 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 actually break it down for me, come in and spend some time with us, and he's like Tim, you don't have a strategy problem, you have a culture problem. I'm like what are you talking about? Our culture's there, our culture's fine. He's like, no, the reason why nobody's nobody's buying your strategies is because your culture is completely broken. And of course, I dismissed him, <laughs> you know, cocky uh, uh, young. At first. Yeah, I right. dismissed him. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. There's nothing to it. And 
you know, his words really resonated with me. I think it was probably about two or three weeks later, I called him and said, okay, let's, let's really talk about this. And the, the journey from there, little Seth, literally it's an EKG. If you look at my revenue, my revenue and profits for the first 10 months were on the way down. I can almost pinpoint point that day and show you from there till we sold the company, what happened on my cultural journey. So as I say that to you, the reason I say it's the most important thing, or, or frankly, it's the only thing at the beginning is because I watched yeah. it happen, I watched it change. And, and the role that sales and marketing plays in that is, 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 is so critical. I, 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 I love it when I find an organization where, and if there are two, let's use your department language, if there are two departments where where they're in lock sync with each other, that's when you see magic happen. If I look across the executive team of these companies, to have an organization where sales and marketing are intrinsically together and, and of one mind, it's amazing things can happen. Where you see things absolutely break is when you've got animosity between your head of sales and your head of marketing. Um, in some cases, yeah. it's the same person. And uh, in, in, in those cases, it's usually defaulting to whatever their bent is. If you got a marketer that became a head of sales, they tend to be marketing driven and not sales driven. If you hire a sales yeah. guy and try to make him into a marketing jockey, expect your marketing to be weak um, and expect your sales to be heavy handed in everything that marketing does. Or I've seen it done the best is when you've got a chief marketing officer and a chief revenue officer or whatever you want to call them. Um, that yeah. are working in tandem with each other, that's when one plus one can equal three because the truth is also the opposite. Negative one plus negative one equals negative three. And I've, I've witnessed that. And frankly, I've been in, I've been a part of some of those uh, as I look back and again, playing my regrets tour, um, as I look back on some of those, I've, I've been in those worlds where I wasn't um, locked with my, my head of sales or my head of marketing when I was on one side of the table or the other. Awesome. That's good. That's great feedback. So, um, when you think about it, uh, and, and it's time to kind of make that full-time hire, right? Do you, do you tend to start with marketing? You start with sales? You start with strategic planning? I mean, where, where are you starting as you're trying to get that bump up? Awesome question. I, I would hope that the reason for a hire is something that flows out of a strategic plan. Um, if it doesn't, I, I really would ask the entrepreneur to pause and say, let's go back to the planning drawing board. Um, and, and, and as much as I told you culture was important in a small company, um, I'm not saying it's not important in a big company, but the culture there is has its own life and language. When you're the when you're the CEO, the entrepreneur of a small company, you have so much more control over culture. The flip is also true. What I what what I what I long for with small companies is to have a strategic planning process that is holistic. That starts from the outside and comes in, starts with the consumer, starts with the trade and comes in. In other words, it's a sales and marketing driven uh, strategic planning process that couples in what's what's what you know. Where does the entrepreneur want to go? What's their long term uh, uh, their long term plans? Are they selling? Are they merging? Are they acquiring? All those things are in play. But hopefully, an outside in uh, a strategic plan is built that then would call out the need for. I need a salesperson or I need a marketing person. And that plan should indicate what's missing rather than an entrepreneur saying, hey, I just need more revenue. I'm going to go hire a sales guy. That's frightening yeah. to me. That's, you know, that's that's growth without a plan. And frankly, it's, you know, those are, you know, you're, uh, you might as well go to Vegas because that's an odds play. And I don't love that, yeah. that point of view. Um, that really but, resonates with me. Yeah. The longer, ahead, and the longer I'm at this, and, and I'm sure you're finding this and I'm hearing this in you, is 
people, uh, and, and, and actually Phil, uh, the, the co-founder of Cathedral, used to say, you know, yeah, people go into the doctor's office all the time and they're, they, they think they know what's wrong with them. In fact, they're sitting there and the words coming out of their mouth is telling the doctor exactly what they think is wrong with them. He says, what's the doctor do? The doctor takes the stethoscope and puts it up to their, their heart and asks them to breathe and looks in their ears, looks in their eyes, because he's trained or she's trained to look at it from a completely different angle. So, if, you know, I'm not interested in your opinions about what you think might be wrong with you until I at least first go through the, you know, the basics, because that may reveal something you've never thought of. And where I'm going with that is I find the older I get, the less interested I am in uh, shooting from the hip with somebody on a hire until I'm like, hold on, what, what are we trying to do? What do you already have? And then it becomes, like you say, you clarify the strategy and now it's a gap analysis of, all right, now you've yes. got gaps. Is that one hire that you were trying to make your most compelling gap? It might yeah. be, but it might be that you've got a couple others and it's futile and frustrating to pull the trigger on hiring that rainmaker yeah. when you're not even aligned on what it is you're trying to do. And, you know, and, and now I'll put my CEO hat on for a second. This took me some time, Seth, to figure out. I, I had to learn this the hard ways. Is your organization ready for even rain, um, let alone a rainmaker? You know, the old, the, the old um, we used to call it SNOP, sales and operations planning, is how far can that rubber band stretch from your sales team pushing for growth and your operations team able to keep up or vice versa? Your operations team is out in front of your sales organization. That's when you get inventory problems. That's where, you know, the, 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 the P, uh, excuse me, the balance sheet starts to look horrible. You have the opposite problem when you have a sales organization. Uh, you know, you you brought up a great point is, I'm going to go hire a rainmaker, but am I ready for rain? Am I ready for any water at all? And to your point, a strategic plan would unveil that, hey, you know, yeah, I'd love more revenue right now, but I've got six months worth of repair that needs to happen. I'm probably off better off hiring a VP of distribution <laughs> or another person on the forklift in the back before I go, you know, make more rain. And then you're sequencing so those things. Yeah. So how have you found that uh, owners uh, or sales executives, but mostly owners probably, yeah. take that advice? Because they're like, no, no, I'm, I, I got this. I just need revenue. I just need more dollars. I need more leads. And you're looking at it and you're saying, I don't think so. Right. How do you, yeah. how do you bridge that um, resistance? For the, 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 the interesting pit there, Seth, is most of the time they're not wrong. I mean, they're not, they absolutely do need, do need more leads. That part is absolutely true. But it's part of, of and this is where the voice of the customer has to play heavy. You know, and, and, you know, some of that is having conversations with their current customers right now and saying, hey, how are we supporting you right now? Give us, uh, you know, put together a scorecard with your top 10 customers. And if you're getting 10s out of 10 on your top 10 customers, you're probably ready for more growth. You probably are ready for more leads and more. But if, you, if you're getting fives, threes, sevens, if you're doing stewardship with your customers and telling you, hey, there's things I need you to do for me right now, Seth, that, that I, that I, that, I mean, you're, you're going to learn, oh, hey, you know what? I'm not ready for growth. So for me, Seth, it's voice of the customer has to be the instant driver for yeah. what part of your business you're ready for. If you again, if you're getting high marks and you're serving them well, and you do think you have capacity, indeed, prove it. And then, then I would say push play on, 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 on driving the business forward. And then go back to the conversation, the question you asked before, am I hiring a salesperson? Or am I hiring a marketer? Do I have growth in the trade? Do I have growth in the vertical? Do I have unique, do I have unique growth strategies that I can grow without salespeople? Um, you yeah. know, so I, I, all those things have to be taken into consideration because you may need a great marketer, not a great salesperson. 
Yeah, I love that. So because uh, the audience for this podcast are, are my favorite people, these, these entrepreneurs with momentum. And uh, but what are the things that those entrepreneurs can really do to support the sales and marketing mm. members of their team? Man, great question. You know, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, but please don't coddle them. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I know there, there are days where you go to bed thinking, okay, my, you know, my, my sales guy, Bob Smith has the most important relationship in my organization. And, and, and boy, if I lost Bob Smith, I, I'd be out of business. Um, and, and that's absolutely true. In many cases, that's absolutely the truth. But it, as much as salespeople don't want to be led, they absolutely do want to be led. Don't let their words, their, don't let their emotion and their passion bowl you over. They want to be led. So lead your sales team. And I mean that in every sense of the word. I mean that from culture to, to um, driving their, their, their actions and their results to measuring their results well, um, to uh, supporting them with you know, the, the, the things they bring into the house. On, on, on the flips, on, on the opposite part of that is help your sales team understand just how influential they actually are. Um, in many cases, you have sales teams that right. don't behave like they're influential. Uh, and I mean that from both a positive reinforcing standpoint and a negative reinforcing. When a salesperson comes in the comes in the shop with a new big order and he runs to the back of the house and immediately starts to to make chaos in the back of the house and your your head of operations wants to slit his throat, um, he needs to understand what implications that means when you walk in the back of the shop and just turn the shop floor upside down or you turn my warehouse upside down by making this demand and that demand. And um, most salespeople don't recognize the impact they do have on the culture. So having your sales team be part of the culture and help build the culture and be on, on strategy with you, to be on culture with you as a leader, probably the most important thing. And where, where I see bad things happen is when you've got a salesperson who's just left unchecked, um, both attitudinally as well as um, results driven. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say the other piece is move quickly on lousy salespeople. Um, just get stop, it over with. Yes, cut the cake. Um, they're, they're, they're destroying you more than, you know, um, uh, if they're destroying your culture, you, you need to have them, if they can't get on board with your culture, then they need to go. Um, and the, the you know, on those things, the, the pain of, the pain of change has to be less than the pain of staying the same. Um, and some of those cases you've got to make it painful. So lead them, lead them well, don't let them off the hook, be tough on them. Great salespeople respond well to great leadership. So I think, and, and, and actually leading them, I think is probably the most important piece of that. Yeah. And until you're ready for a sales manager who also has to be led, really, it's, yes. it's often that founder entrepreneur who has to play that role of being the sales manager and bring that accountability. You can't just no. outsource no. to your sales and marketing organization yes. and, and, no, and, and no. Hope, it, hope it works out. Yeah. The hope that, that's, that, that is what it'll be. It'll be hope. Yeah. So um, shifting gears a little bit, this is, this was, you know, this might sound a little bit like a commercial, but you know, as as we've built out Cathedral, you know, it was is built on some some principles, some some proprietary processes, and then as I you know bought the company five years ago and kind of repositioned us, moved it from New York City and Basking Ridge, New Jersey to the West Coast. You know, moved our headquarters to Roseburg, Oregon, as opposed to you know New York City. Um, <laughs> a little different, you know, have more people on the team that are in, in my time zone. You know, we do a fair amount in, 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 in telecom and in auto finance. And then we, and then just for kind of general business. And it took me a while, but eventually I, I, I thought, you know, the, the kind of people that, that I need 
and I've shared with this shared this on the podcast. I've actually never made money on anything where I've owned like real money more than a third of the business. Yeah. And the lesson I've learned over time, you know, I feel like the Lord has showed me is like, yeah, it's because you don't get all the gifts. You have some gifts, but you, me in particular, I, I became aware of like, okay, I'm just frustrated if I don't have a team. Yeah. And as I was launching the business, I'm like, well, I can't, I can't go hire, you know, a bunch of A players and just write salary checks while we figure this out. What I need is I need people who are gifted who are at a stage in their career where they don't want to punch a time clock. You know, they're not looking for a full-time gig. They've got um, energy. They got gas in the tank. They've got a, a heart to serve and to use their gifts. And they want to be part of a team that, that they trust. And we, we put a, a phrase around that job description. We call it a cathedral trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. And they need to have a certain core expertise. And, and you were introduced to me as somebody that was, all right, he's, this creative director at this large church, he's he's looking to, we think we can probably get him to dust off that sales and marketing energy because he's re- actually, it, the other way around, you were ready to uh, reactivate those those genes a little bit. Exactly. Worked out perfectly. What's that experience been like for you um, in being able to serve as a cathedral trusted advisor, both pers- first personally, but also I'd love for you to describe a little bit of the impact you've been able to have with some of our clients. Yeah. I mean, I, you're touching on the thing that's probably nearest and dearest to my heart right now, Seth. And I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy my time as a trusted advisor and how grateful I am for the opportunity. Um, on a personal level, it very much, and when you and I first talked, I mean, I had I had chicken pox, right? I had I had 30 years of business oozing out of my out of my system and I was just scratching all over and I, I could not satisfy the itch, right? I'm, I'm, I'm scratching as hard as I can in my, in, in, in my, my role at, at the church. And I, I'm, I'm barely able to get my, 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 uh, my chicken pox down. And what you've enabled me to do is to be able to still utilize the gifts that God has given me. And frankly, the, the experiences that God has given me, uh, good, bad, and ugly, by the way, because they're all in play. Uh, and right. I, I'm, I'll be, I may be ashamed of some of them. I'm, I, I I feel like telling them could benefit somebody is the ability to just share those those things with 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 our clients, and um, so it's on a personal level it has helped my chicken pox go away. Uh, I've been able to itch That's scratch the itch, and uh, and it is phenomenal. And the, and frankly, the balance that it brings to my 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 weekly life right now, my just my my living is 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 really really a great thing. And the ability to have. Uh, great clients, uh, has been really fun. I've had the privilege of being on some really neat customers and, and, um, you know, what I'm learning now, Seth, to be on this side of the, of the, of the fence is I can fall in love with and be just as passionate about a client, um, and their business as I was, if I owned it myself. Um, and part of that is I've had the privilege of work with clients that allow me to get all the way in. And I mean, I can get dirt under my nails, um, the, the other the other fascinating piece is being able to see action take place, to see clients actually um, hear, see, watch a light bulb go off with a CEO and go, holy cow, that's something I can put in place tomorrow, this afternoon, next week. And and me and a couple of the other trusted advisors that are on the business have have talked about this is how how fascinating it is to be able to see the transformation right in front of us happen. And yeah. you know, it's led to extensions of, of contracts. I mean, I'm, I'm doing things now that we weren't even thinking about doing six months ago. And uh um, and I truly, I, and, and they will, these are my words. They, we, I can truly, you know, profess to see, to see that we are making a difference. 
We're actually having real business metric driven results. Things are being resurfaced. New ideas are coming to market. New new marketing ideas are being put into place. And super cool to see that happen. And one client I'm working on, we're literally transforming their retail their retail floor. They're they're a retailer, uh, and I've I had the privilege of working with, for, and around other retailers, and we're transforming their. They haven't had a retail in store marketing retail strategy around how they do signage and point of sale and. And and uh, we're literally in the process right now of setting a couple stores that will soon be a 70 store rollout for how they'll re-merchandise. So I get to watch it happen right in front of me. Yeah. And that part's super I love sensitive. it. So. And you know, it's, what I love is I am the worst in the world at that. I mean, I, I, I and people would come to me and ask me to help them with that. And I'd be like, uh, and, and you know, as I get a little older, I'm like, I realize, hey, Seth, you're, don't even pretend to be an expert. You just connect, right? Just bring them in. And the Lord has used us to connect you with them. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I love. See, that's often, you know, I might not even get to see the tactical level progress that our clients get. And I hear, but I get to hear about it from you and I get it, you know, I get that that validation for, for my calling. So kind of shifting gears yeah. as we wrap up here, Tim, thanks for your time today. But we shared earlier that mantra from from the co-founder of, of Cathedral that in God's world, business done right is a blessing. Um, what does that uh, What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, for me, it's about gifts application, Seth. I, I, you know, we're we're talking right now as a as a church leadership team. You know, uh, we're actually going through the book of of uh, of Galatians right now. And uh, talking about you know the gifts uh, you know the, the gifts that the Spirit brings. We just finished up Hebrews. It was also in there as well. And and for me, um, it, it, it's learning to understand the gifts. You know, when when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells within us, and we're given then gifts that are supernatural that we can't explain and can't understand. And what's so neat for me in this spirit of my life is actually watching the gifts that the Holy Spirit's given me, the Lord's given me, to be actually put into place um, uh, in a business setting. Yes, I can serve on a church on Sunday, and I can I can play piano and, and and sing and all that stuff, but I get to actually use other gifts of the Spirit, other gifts and skills that He's given me that I can actually put into place in business. And so for me, business done right is about applying the thing that 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 that's inside of me every day with my client. And if they see me differently, hallelujah, I'm doing it right. Um, you know, they, 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 they ask what's different about you. Why do you behave this way? Why are why do you do it this way? And for me, that's when I go, okay. And it's the opposite of the story I told you back in Atlanta. I get people asking me, yeah. you know, why, why are you so excited about this? What, what is it that makes you enthusiastic? And why do you care that much about my business? I had a guy the other day, like, how, man, you care more than people on my team. I'm like, that's not me. Right, that's the spirit that lives within me that's coming out, and uh, um, and and for me, business done right is about applying those gifts that I've been gifted with, recognize them as gifts, and then giving them back the way the Lord intended. So, um, it's a it's a, a great experience. I'm so grateful, Seth, for everything you've done for me in this short period of time, and and look, really looking forward to doing some great things together, including writing a book, apparently. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said those words. Now, 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 I've got you. I will be your. I will be your your guide. And your accountability partner. I'll be both. Well, listen, uh, such a pleasure to uh, have you sharing your gifts with our audience today. Um, we'll make sure that they've got lots of ways to connect with you. Uh, grateful for your contribution. Hope you have an awesome weekend. You know, the rain is passing through. We're springtime here in the beautiful Northwest. And uh, again, really grateful to have you on the team. And uh, this is just a early introduction for people as they get to know you more over the years. And we're, we're 
thankful. So have a great weekend and we'll uh, see you soon. Thanks, Seth. God bless. Well, I hope you enjoyed getting to know Tim Hawkins a little bit better. I warned you, he's high energy. What do you think about that decision to make sure he wasn't leaving Jesus in the car? What a great reminder as we literally park the car and head to the office each day for those of us that come to the offices once in a while. How about the rigor of your sales process? Doesn't it feel like sometimes we have so much going on, maybe too much, and we're like, oh, I don't really have the time to be that rigorous. You know, is that a trap that maybe we need to be watching out for as we, we double back and make sure that our processes have a measure of accountability in them and, and tracking and reporting? Or how about Tim's belief that the need for that next sales leader that you've been hanging your hat on really needs to flow from and be aligned with your strategic plan? That's definitely an idea that we should not overlook. Listen, if this episode really resonates with you and you feel like Tim's expertise may be something you want to tap, feel free to reach out. You know, we teach that every business needs those four pillars of value, finance and accounting, sales and marketing, systems and workflow, people and culture. And so one of the reasons that we cultivate these cathedral trusted advisors is so that they're a sounding board for us, for you. They're people who have a heart to serve. They have real expertise that can be accessed. So don't uh, hesitate to reach out. Every discovery call is always free, never any pressure, but we're here to serve you as you build value in your businesses. We want to keep those resources available to help you shore up the, the areas that need to be shored up. So until next time, keep building value, keep serving others, and keep doing your part to show that in God's world, business done right is a blessing. Oh,